Hi, and welcome to Spilling Chai. I'm your host, Anusha Hussain. You may know me as the Bangladeshi American cable news commentator who debates toxic masculinity on Fox News with Tucker Carlson. Or maybe you've read my articles on CNN about toxic white supremacy. While I may be a pro at giving my opinion and analysis on the headlines, something you don't get to hear me do as much is ask the questions and talk about something other than the news. And that's what I'm all about doing right now, because seriously, between coronavirus, climate change, and Italy being on lockdown, my Persian cats and I need a detox from the outrage. This podcast, Billing Chai, is about conversations. I want to feel inspired. And radio is such a great medium to have really in-depth conversations and to take the time to have them. In this show, I'm going to be talking to brilliant writers, passionate activists, and amazing artists. And I want you to join us. This podcast is also a PSA on behalf of all brown people that in most of Asia and the Middle East, chai is not a latte. Instead, it's the best kind of tea. And on this podcast, we are all about spilling it. So pour your cup and sit down with us. I want to begin this week by thanking you all for the warm and so very toasty welcome you gave the inaugural episode of Spilling Chai. Thank you for subscribing, reviewing, and most importantly, for listening to us. So it is self-isolation days here in Washington, D.C. We are all feeling isolated, frustrated, and scared of what's to come. But if there's something at the forefront of all of our minds right now, aside from when the heck are we going to get out of our homes, it's our health. It's our own health, our family's health, the health of our kids, the health of our elderly parents, grandparents. And even though we've been told that it's older people who are most at risk for coronavirus, as a mom and someone who has worked in women's health and rights for most of my professional career, what I've been thinking about is what a scary time it must be to be pregnant right now. I mean, we're not even supposed to go to the hospital unless it's a very serious emergency. But imagine if you go into early labor and pregnancy can sometimes be an uncertain and stressful period in the best of circumstances. But during a pandemic, that anxiety can quickly multiply. No one knows more about women's health especially maternal health and rights, than our guest today, Dr. Jamila Taylor. Jamila recently became the Director of Healthcare Reform at the Century Foundation, and we are truly lucky to have her with us to talk all things pregnancy, women, and health. Dr. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Let's get straight to the point. How are you surviving? You know, I am surviving. I mean, the the best that I can, as well as millions of other Americans. You know, I will say that um, a particular struggle for me has been really having the responsibility of tracking COVID-19 and and the public health response, as well as um, some of the negotiations that are happening on Capitol Hill at the same time, managing, you know, taking care of my own family, Um, and myself and making sure that we stay safe. So it is definitely a crazy time, you know, but doing what I can to stay grounded, making sure I take those daily walks slash runs, um, depending on how much time I have. Um, So yeah, I'm coping just like the rest of us. 
You know, what I think is so fascinating about this and what I think has really shocked people, uh, especially outside of America, with how coronavirus has brought the United States to its knees, much like it's brought the whole world to its knees. But it's really exposed to the world what women's rights advocates have known for a long time, which is how weak and vulnerable the American healthcare system is. Absolutely. How... I'm, and people are shocked always when, whenever, you know, they hear the stats about maternal health in America and maternal mortality in America and how America has the highest maternal mortality numbers amongst industrialized nations. But people are shocked about that. But people are also shocked about, you know, the fact that we don't have uh, paid leave, health care, uh, insurance. So these are, these are issues <laughs> that we know um, about it in our field, but the world is kind of discovering now. How do things like race and class play out for women in America when they become pregnant? You're right, Anusha. I mean, it's really, um, particularly in this moment, I think a thing that is shedding a spotlight, not only how much the United States is not prepared from a public health perspective, from an economic perspective of this, but also it it sheds a spotlight on um, inequities in this country. And, you know, when we look at um, the issues around maternal mortality and morbidity, um, we know that Black women are two to three times more likely to die of a maternal death Mm -hmm. um, compared to white women. Those stats are similar to Native women. They also are much more likely to die of maternal death. Um, Black women are also more likely to have what we call near misses, um, you know, which are these severe maternal morbidity, um, you know, occurrences. Another thing that I like to, to focus on when I talk about this issue is the fact that we're talking about Black women who are highly educated. Yes. Um, Black women who have higher incomes, they live in safe neighborhoods. Um, You know, so at face value, you know, this totally, you know, flips the script. Um, So I should say on what we are sort of told and trained about public health, right? Like, you know, we had taken years to sort of understand why, you know, the higher echelon of Black women are dying more from maternal um, health issues than white women who never finished high school. Yes. So what we know is that this is because of racism. Yeah. And I think when people hear things like that about racism, they don't understand how complicated it is. A lot of people think, oh, well, it affects black women uh, more because they're not as educated or that, you know, Mm -hmm. it's an economic issue. But then you hear these stories like Mm -hmm. uh, high profile stories of women like Serena Williams, Beyonce, which completely shatters that stereotype or that assumption that people have like, oh, well, if you just had, you know, more of this or more of that, then you would be safe. And it's like, no, someone like Serena Williams. I mean, this story really, I feel like brought a needed spotlight on not only America's maternal mortality crisis, but the role that race plays. Oh yeah. Really, what I want to tell people when they're when people are so shocked, they're like, "Well, what's causing it?" I'm like, "Well, there's a high C-section rate. There's this and that." Really, at the core of everything, what I've done with in my research, and especially working now on my book, some days I just want to be like, "It's racism." (laughs) Right. Racism. There's nothing complicated about it. And it's you know what? 
I mean, I'm like burning now, you, you know, you got me rolling here. I think another thing I say to that too is like, you know what, we can't, we can't wash off this brown and black skin, right? Like no matter how much money we have or um, how much privilege we have, this, this black and brown skin is always a part of us. So to people that don't understand, you know, how racism can still impact um, privileged, you know, women of color in this country, that that's what I always come back with, you know, this skin is part of us, and it comes with us in every environment, every situation. And the stories of Serena Williams, Beyonce, I'm sure your listeners have also heard of the story of Kira Johnson, um, you know, when they were in hospital settings, their black skin was the thing that kept them from um, being listened to, it caused them to be invisibilized. What is so important about Serena Williams' story is that not only is she one of the top athletes in the world, but she's paid millions of dollars to know mm -hmm. her body. She saved her own life. She was telling the doctors, I, am, I have blood clots. You know, she was coughing so much. Her C-section stitches came undone. She, I mean, I just, I want my listeners to understand that Yes, women of color obviously are impacted more. But the reason that we keep bringing up black women is because in addition to Latinx women, Native American Indian women, the disparity between blacks and whites is the starkest, right? So mm -hmm. when you're saying that black women are three to four times more likely to die giving birth in America than their white counterparts, that is 243 percent more likely to die giving birth in the richest country in the world. Right, right, what? the richest country in the world, right. Yeah, how do you explain to people, women of color are pain. People don't take black women's pain seriously. What is that about? Well, first of all, unfortunately in this country, we, we have some, some deep-rooted historical foundations in racism. People don't um, really talk about this, but people don't talk about it. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> but it's so important when we look at, you know, the exploitation of particularly black female slaves and the lack of reproductive freedom during that time, because to me, it, it sort of traces a line to where we are now, which continues, I think, to pervade the healthcare system as well as the broader social safety net in terms of how we view black women how we view their pain, the fact that they are not deserving, and the fact that they are devalued in American society. I just think that is so ironic because if I've learned anything from living in America um, for the past, I mean, almost two decades, it's that I feel like I feel like Black women are the backbone of this country, and I just feel like. If you ever, I don't know, I always tell all the black women in my life, like, you know, just listen, if America just listens to black women. <laughs> everything would be, the, in the mind. yes, the world would be a better place. This country would be a much better place. Yeah. I mean, this country was built. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. This country was built on the backs of black women and black women, you know, whether it's in the ballot box or you know, their roles as, as leaders sort of helping to run this country, you know, at the federal, state and local levels, um, as activists, um, as community leaders, Black women continue to, you know, save this country. Have you ever heard that quote? And really, there could not be truer words when you live in America. Uh, may you have, may you have the confidence of a mediocre white man. <laughs> mm. 
absolutely. Think of all the things I could accomplish, you know, with exactly. that. I mean, oh my gosh. I could have taken over the world. Um, so back to being amazing women of color. You graduated uh, with honors from Hampton University. You got your PhD from Howard University. How did you get into the work that you do? Wow. Well, you know what? I was blessed to start working. I, I started working for the at the Virginia State Legislature, you know, back in Richmond, Virginia, when I was an undergrad and, you know, really enjoyed sort of a taste of working on the political slash legislative side of things. And then from there, um, ended up cold calling uh, the office of Congressman Bobby Scott, <laughs> um, his, his DC office to say, hey, you know, um, I'd love a job working for you. Do you have anything available? Um, and it just so happened that they did. And so um, worked for Mr. Scott for a number of years, you know, first in his district office um, in Richmond, Virginia, and then um, working for him in DC as well. And so that was really how I, I sort of started. Um, so you cold called and it worked? I cold called and it worked, yes. And I, and I will say, you know, I, I, yeah, yeah, I cold called and it worked. You know, it, when I was in grade school, I knew I always wanted to do something in the law slash policy space. Um, and that's sort of where um, I was led and, you know, really enjoyed working on the Hill. It, it's definitely not for the week of heart. Um, it was a really cool <laughs> opportunity. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, my job now is a little bit different. I mean, I'm still focused on women's health. Um, now it's more healthcare reform. Yeah, right? it's more, it's more healthcare generally. Um, but the great thing is, you know, I was able to um, come into this organization who um, that is a 100 year old think tank that had not previously focused on women's health issues and not even through a racial lens as well. And I have been able to bring that to the organization. And it's been I'm blessed to be able to bring, you know, the gender and race work um, into a new space, which has been really cool. So I've, I've, I've been around for a long time now, actually. I'm like 20 years, I know, two <laughs> decades, wow. Um, it, which is really long, but I'm blessed to be able to work on issues that I care deeply about. No woman should die giving birth, first of all. This is the, the most frustrating thing about working and being passionate about this issue. Uh, for me, is that it's not like AIDS, it's not like cancer. We're not looking for a cure. Right. We know exactly what to do. And, right. you know, what I love about your work is that, I mean, I'm such a big fan, Jamila. I have to tell our listeners really quick that back <laughs> in the day when I yeah. used to work, uh, when I was a feminist policy analyst and when I, my feminist majority days, you know, Jamila remembers as well. But before I knew you and I used to see you, we used to go to these briefings on the Hill and you were always so fashionable, so uh -oh. put together. And I just <laughs> want to be like, I want to be her. I mean, my boss, you guys, my boss used to make me call Jamila. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we would be so going funny. to the same meeting and then she'd want me to give her like an update and then she'd be like, let's call Jamila. I just like, call Jamila Taylor. I, I also, I, I just feel like young women always ask me kind of, you know, how to, how to have a career in kind of like being a professional feminist. <laughs> I know. I feel like you have done it. 
I, I always, I always point people, um, people to, to your, your incredible, um, career. So thank these you are, for that. Yeah. Well, thank you. My goodness. Thank you. God help us. Um, so these are such obviously uncertain times and crazy days. What is giving you hope right now? Living, living in the time of coronavirus, love in the time of coronavirus, oh. life yeah. in the time of coronavirus. Well, I think that the thing that um, gives me hope is, you know, actually what we talked about a little bit earlier, you know, in terms of the women in this country who are oftentimes, you know, sort of in the background or the silent leaders, you know, I, I get so much comfort and um, encouragement from the women that I work with, you know, whether it's within my own organization or, you know, colleagues like you and Nushe or, or others that I've worked with over the years, you know, whenever I'm feeling discouraged or just overwhelmed and, and I call up, um, you know, one of you all, it just, it, it, you all are my cheerleaders. And so that is really what keeps me going, you know, and women are, I mean, I'm on several email chains now. Um, you know, I don't know if you've heard of Nushe, but um, in New York, um, you know, a state that is in the midst of, you know, trying to deal with um, the COVID-19 outbreak there, it has been decided that women who um, are due to give birth um, over the next several weeks can no longer have an attendant with them. So we're talking a loved one, a doula, their partner, right? Exactly. Not so, even a doula. Not even a doula. Not even no one. They they literally oh will God. have to go in. Yes, they literally will have to go in um, and give birth or Which prepare to give birth alone. Oh my! Well, goodness. the doctor, the doc, yeah, with just the doctor and whatever nurses are around, and so oh I just use that as an example because I'm on several email chains with women <laughs> primarily that are working in both the maternal health space as uh, policy professionals, but also birth workers and others that are trying to figure out what we can do about this. And so having that camaraderie and support and just strategizing, you know, with women who are so dedicated and passionate to these issues. I mean, that's what gives me hope. The spirit, the strength. Yes, the, the spirit, the strength. And the energy of women power, man. Absolutely. I women love power. women. I know what you're talking about. I love me women. Too. Can I tell you, if the men just stay at home and let us take <laughs> over the world, everything would be solved. Everything, we could solve everything. I mean, I It's true, about, but we also need the men that are out there as allies. I do want to give so them great. a shout out. I, I work in an organization with predominantly white men and they're lovely. <laughs> they're willing to learn, you know, so I do want to give a shout out to those men out there that are shout our out allies. to our male allies. We need y'all too. Yes. So we need y'all to talk to your friends, your brothers and dads, uncles. Yes, All of I always say this to my 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 girlfriends, my mom friends who are raising uh, boys just like you, raising the next generation of amazing men. No, this is true. Uh, not to also mention, I mean, both my producers for the podcast are amazing men. My husband is an amazing man. So yes, the allies are great. Yes. That being said, I would still like women to take over. The men can I be our assistants. Well, well, that's the thing. Women are women are maneuvering. They're doing all the work. I hope we don't get any hate mail after this. But you know, the the women are in the background doing all the work. Let's be clear. You know, oh, like. always. 
<laughs> always and in always. Yeah. So this was such an important conversation, Jamila. Thank you so much for taking the time to build high with us and no, share. Absolutely. These are tough days, guys, but stay at home, stay safe, stay grateful, keep your eyes on the silver linings because it might be hard to see them, but they're there. If you enjoyed this episode, my dear, dear listeners, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And until next time, let's keep brewing the chai.